Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I am delighted to have an old friend of mine, Peter Holliday. And Peter has had a wealth of experience both in the armed forces and outside. I was lucky enough to serve with him in 2nd Division Signal Regiment and he was one of the best uh, troop commanders I've ever seen. I learned a lot from him. And also we met each other again at Staff College. He's an avid climber. He just takes on things that I'd be scared shitless to do and Peter climbs them. But also he's fabulous at change and strategy where he's been invited into many of the clients that I've met and indeed I recommended him because he was so good doing strategy and change at top exec level with vice chancellors and with CEOs. And now he's at Lambda as an executive director at Lambda, working alongside the CEO in a fascinating role. So Peter, great to have you on board. Great. Thank you very much for having me. We were talking earlier about um, it's really important to have a reason why and a sense of meaning and purpose in what you do. As you look at what you're doing now and what you've done in different uh, jobs in business, but also in your time in the army, what is it that gives you meaning and purpose in your life? And, and, And are you living your life on purpose or have there been times when you've been off purpose? Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, you know, for me, um, and I've been sort of out of the army for slightly longer than I was in it yeah. now, um, so about 20 years yeah. doing each. And uh, so you try and join the dots between what you're doing in the army and what your, what your kind of second career, your second life is about. Um, and I think I've kind of resolved that, that it's about, it's about change, actually, yeah. uh, change in organisations. Mm. And, and, and that's something I think the forces are used to all the time, you know, facing different organisations and yeah. learning to adapt. So that's what I've tried to do, take that into, into City Street. Great. Yeah. Well, you've worked for some really inspiring leaders over the time, and we were talking about some of them. Um, we talked about just four. Perhaps you could just briefly mention two and then tell some stories about the other two. So uh, sure, yeah. Who's, who's inspired you? Yeah, well, um, there's been lots of people, actually, o- over the years. I've worked with, you know, with and for some, some great individuals. And um, But, I mean, John Griffin, who you know well, because you and I both worked for him in, in the position of adjutant. And, uh, um, you know, John, a uh, very deliberative guy, um, very principled, yeah. uh, and I think that the same for Gordon Hughes that, that uh, succeeded him at uh, Second Signal Regiment. Yeah, uh, he was uh, great. as well. Um, uh, just staying with the military theme for a moment, um, Cedric Delves. Yeah. Um, I think he's just released um, an audio book, actually. All right, cool. Um, but uh, Cedric, he was special forces, special forces, sort of legendary type uh, commander. But um, he really inspired me by what he he didn't do actually right uh, i mean i was on a uh, on an exercise with seventh gurkha rifles i was the operations officer uh with the uh with the, the command group and um we uh we it was a live firing exercise and we had a, an accident so a couple of mortar rounds landed 
in the lead company and we had oh some Gur- Gurkhas that were, were injured. Um, and Cedric Delves, as the commander of Five Airborne Brigade, was with us, with the command group, watching things going on, really in a, an observer capacity. And in that kind of you know crisis situation, I think a, a, a lot of senior commanders may have jumped in and yeah. taken control. It was very calm, very measured, and um, really led us and the commanding officer, David Willis, get on with it and, and, and sort it out. So it was yeah, more by what he didn't do. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. And then you also had a, an academic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, lifelong, uh, not lifelong, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, the last uh, 20 odd years, uh, a, a real friend and mentor, um, Professor Sir Diane Hopkin. Uh, I worked with Diane for several years at uh, London South Bank University where we had, you know, quite a, a challenging change agenda. Yeah. Quite pressured at times. Yeah. Um, and irrespective of the, the pressures, Diane could speak to everybody individually and make them feel that they were the only person that really mattered in the organisation. So cause special quality. That, that is a real skill. Which yeah. you, I, I remember meeting Diana. She had that ability right. to, to do it. And he clearly had it. People yes. never forget it, do they? They just no, no, always no, remember. No, yeah. Diane and I yeah. Same experience when yeah. she visited us in, in the really? pool, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Very memorable, yeah. And so from the inspiring leaders that you work with, um, back to our own practical things, you yeah. know, each of us have made mistakes. I think in the tally, I've probably made way more than you. But, I, I doubt but, it. Uh, but, uh, no, I think I have. I think I have. I've, I've, just, I've lost count. Um, but when you look back at uh, leadership mistake, particularly a story that you made, what, what was your learning from that and, and how could you pass on to others, hey, look, don't make the mistake I made because it's really not a smart one. What was what was, yeah. what was um, the error you were making? Uh, so I was a, uh, sort of, you know, what in the army is called an independent subunit commander. So quite a lot of responsibility at a fairly young age for a you know, squadron of 150 or so guys. Mm. And um, uh, I, I'm sure I made mistakes there. I, you know, I, I, I can think of a few. And... What, when I think about why I made those mistakes, um, I, I think decision-making clearly is a key part of leadership. And yeah. I'm really interested in decision-making in terms of when you make the decision. And uh, there's a, a balance to be struck between procrastination and making a decision too yeah. late um, and going too early when actually you haven't got sufficient information to make an informed judgment. And I think um, in, in, in those years, probably one or two times where I made decisions under pressure from other people to make a decision, uh, when in my gut, I probably knew that I should have pushed back, waited, yeah. um, taken the pressure and decided when I, when I knew more. Yes. Yeah. It, it is such a fine line, isn't it? You wait too long and you're indecisive. Yeah. But, but, you know, always, I think, particularly in an environment which is more action-oriented like the military, they want, go on, make a decision, quick, quick, quick. Yeah, yeah. And, and you haven't sometimes got the right amount. It's, it is quite intuitive, yeah. isn't it, sort of choosing the fine line? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And what about uh, top tip? What would, what would be a, a good top tip that you'd share to, so people that yeah. um, go, I could apply that, I could, I could use that yeah. from your experience? Um, I mean, I... Um, you know, we were talking whether there's a, a kind of title for, uh, you know, the, the, the main stream of this conversation. And 
I came up with this, you know, strategy, the wonderful every day. You the know, wonderful from, every day. The wonderful every day. And, uh, and that was from uh, Ikea, is it? Yeah, the kind of Ikea ad that's going around. But but for me, um, you know, if strategy is working, then, you know, it is permeating into the everyday mm. and, mm. And, and people are uh, um, aligning what they do yeah. with where the organisation's going because they have a, a very clear idea of that. And um, if you can do that, I think you're, you're kind of cooking on gas. And, and how do you know you're doing that? I think when you're in meetings and rather than people just listening or doing as directed, they're starting to spark and come up with ideas that you know is in line with where the organisation needs mm. to go. Mm. So, and I think, you know, leadership is about kind of creating the conditions to enable people people to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Peter, thank you. It's great, great. having, great having Thanks, you in the series. Yeah, you, you are a, a real live action man. I always remember when you're 249M <laughs> mobile, you're out there in the snow, weren't you? And, yeah, and, and, yeah, a lot of Arctic You stuff, love the out, outdoor uh, world. I do. Uh, so, Not so much nowadays, but yeah. uh, still now and again. Yeah. yeah, but great admiration for all that you've achieved in your career and, and just the way you show up as a, a really authentic leader and an inspiring leader, which is why I wanted you on the series. So thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra, where I'm very lucky to have my old friend Peter Holiday, and we're carrying on talking about Peter's life and experiences and lessons. So, Peter, you know, where were you born? What, what, what was life like in those early years? Um, so, I, I was born in, in uh, Kent, uh-huh. Medway Towns, mm-hmm. and... Um, Parents uh, moved around uh, a little bit, I think. What do they, that, that what do they both really. do? So my, my dad was uh, an engineer, um, a, a, a fitter and turner, actually. Yep. Um, so very early on, he, you know, the family moved with his work. Um, mm. So he worked at uh, Harwell, the Atomic Research oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Agency, for a, for a while, which took us to Newbury. Did he, did he glow in the dark? Um, this? Well, <laughs> interesting, actually. Did interesting. it affect his health? Well, he died of cancer. Wow. Um, I'm sorry. Five years ago now. And um, I, really remember, I remember the stories of, uh, you know, personal dissimilar having to, you know, uh, watch the levels of radiation really? when he was at Harwell. Yeah. Um, and of course, as a fitter and turner, he's sort of turning um, all sorts of different materials and things. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But um, where, where, where was the cancer? Um, so uh, it was a type of lymphoma, yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed. So it probably was associated with his work, wasn't it? I, Who knows? I, I think, you know, yeah, you know, it, yeah, quite, quite, quite possible. Yeah. Um, but what was he like as a uh, as a role model? To he, you, he, he was, um, yeah, he was a wonderful man. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, um, very generous, um, kind-hearted, uh, family-oriented. Um, so I, that's where you got it from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know a real, yeah, a, 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 a real kind of role, role model. Yeah, really. really. Yeah. Um, and mum, mum's what, what, still what alive. Qualities this mum, thankfully. Um, well, fantastic. Uh, they were a fantastic combo, actually. Um, yeah. uh, mum, I think, in many ways, a kind of driving force in terms of you know decision making and, yeah. and, and things. Uh, extremely sociable and gregarious, dad less so. Yeah. Uh, but in combination, pretty pretty formidable. Great. So they they, they moved um, 
back to Kent. Um, do you have any brothers and sisters? Or just I you? do, yeah. yeah well, I, have so a, I, have a, I have a brother, so he was born when we were in Newbury, so he's okay. got a couple of years uh, younger than me. Okay. Yeah. He's still yeah. in touch? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Is um, he like a little mirror image of you, or is he completely no, he, different? No, he's completely different. Yeah, he's, he's completely different. So he, he, he's, he, he's retired now after a, uh, a career in, uh, in government, and, and he... Um, but he, he's a real artist. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, he does a lot of painting. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, so uh, uh, I'm a bit jealous that he's got the time to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, Damn, yeah, he's retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, then yeah. Him, yeah, those government contracts. Um, I know various people who retire incredibly early and then live on full pay or something. It's quite outrageous. Yeah. I'm not sure what our taxes <laughs> are being used for, for God's sake. But how about as you were growing up, apart from father and, and mother, who, who were role models to you, who else? Do you have any good teachers or anybody? That yeah, you know? I mean, I, I was very lucky. I, I mean, um, so again, I think mum and dad made a kind of really good strategic move to move back to Kent, not to Medway Towns. But to Canterbury, yeah. uh, which was just a fantastic place to grow up. Um, that was tough for them because yeah. uh, you know they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but they and they were young parents, and um, but they they made the call to you know put money into buying a house um, right. despite the difficulties. Dad working all hours, night work, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, gave it, you know, uh, Neil, my brother, and I a really sort of stable um, upbringing. Local kind of Catholic school, a primary, um, and then I was lucky enough to kind of scrape through the eleven plus exam, well done. which uh, is really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about the ethics of that kind of binary yeah. system, to be honest. Yeah, um, a lot of people question it. Yeah, but I undoubtedly benefited from it because I yeah. went to great grammar school, Yeah, Simon Langton Boys was School. Was that Catholic or just a Russian? Uh, that was, yeah, yeah, no. Do you, does your faith not, form not, part not, of but, who you are? Or? No, not really. No. I mean, if I'm honest, um, you know, uh, I kind of t still take some, you know, solace in, in tough times. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I suppose, you know, but, I, I can't. I can't rationalise um, that, that whole god thing. No, if I'm honest. No, and yeah. I mean, I, I personally find, although sort of church being like bringing that stoicism is quite good. You know, you mm. can't control what others do and the situation. I'm all farty, like love what is. Yeah, the situation you find yourself in, but actually, you can control your thoughts and your actions, and mm. I, I find that helpful. Yeah, and, there's, and, and, there's some you, great messages in there. Aren't there? I think. So. Yeah, you, you know, do you find it helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some real. I mean, you know, what is taught in terms of how to treat people and and uh, how to kind of conduct yourself. And I, I guess that's common to all the kind of yeah. great, great religions. So I think so. There's real value in there. Yeah. But but you, you um, and we'll talk throughout. Sort of, we'll go in chronological order. But I just want to jump in right to you. You had a very unusual career in the Royal Signals in that you were lucky enough to get selected to go to the 7th Gurkha Rifles as their operations officer which is like it's a it's a teeth armed tough job and they wanted you to do that great honour to you and, and then you saw a whole different lifestyle maybe with the Gurkha upbringing and the Nepalese and their face and religion and how they cope with adversity and setbacks. And yeah. Uh, how did you find that influence you coping with resilience? What, what did you learn from all that? Totally um so uh, I've had a sort of ongoing association um, with with Nepal. Yeah. Um, 
since yeah the, those fairly early days in, in Royal Signals. So I, I volunteered for Gurkha service and um, I went to Queen's Gurkha Signals oh. originally. Right. Okay. I wonder so, how you made the connection. So I did a couple of years in Hong Kong and. Um, you know, which was great from a sort of mountaineering point of view. So yeah, did you do lots of climbing? Yeah, I managed to take some Gurkhas. We were the, uh, the first Nepalese, um, you know, to climb uh, uh, Mount Cook in, in New Zealand. So oh, that's, I, that's I, cool. I took some guys down there. Uh, uh, how how fa- tall is that? That's a big fa- mountain. Fantastic times. It's not particularly high, um, yeah. but it's quite a difficult mountain. Um, and the, what, what, like, the, the, there's no, no, it, no, it's... Um, it's about 12,000 feet, I think. Yeah, if, but if, technically quite hard. Technically quite hard. You've got the snow line starts very low. Um, it's glaciated, so you've got, you know, quite a few sort mm. of uh, objective mm. issues. Mm. To, and we, that, that was interesting. We uh, And you all came back. You we, we, out you we, back. we did just. We had, um, so when we were climbing Cook, um, one, of the, one of the parties who'd been to the top uh, were coming back, and we, we chose... Essentially, because we taught, uh, you know, we taught some Gurkhas to climb rock yeah. climbing in Hong Kong. Took them to New Zealand. Wow. Here's, you know, this is a glacier. This is how you cross it safely. Here's you know, how you do snow and ice climbing. Because I picked it up fantastically mm. well. Mm. Um, and then we, you know, climbed some other mountains. Mount Aspiring, fantastic mountain. But you said someone was coming down. Big. Did they? We went up to. Um, so they've been to the top of. Uh, of Cook, and they were coming down, and a different uh, party, not your party. No, part of our party. Our party, yeah, party. yeah, yeah. So we're in, working in different yeah. ropes and teams, and um, they they were ice avalanched um, oh, at night coming down. That we we so we technically it's a hard mountain, and so we took a route called the Linda Glacier route, yeah, uh, which is technically the kind of easiest route up, but it's objectively. A dangerous route um, because of icefall. Um, statistically, not you know, very little chance of being caught. But one of our teams was caught. So um, some blocks of ice uh, came rattling down oh, wow. the gun barrels from the summit ice field uh, and hit these guys. So we had one guy um, unconscious. Oh, uh, block of ice about the size of a car engine. Um, punched a hole in his carbon fiber helmet. Um, wow! And they were generally beaten about. So um, one guy managed to make it down to where we were, which was in a, a mountain hut, and um, burst in. Sort of said, you know, Bruce and Jags have been, uh, you know, they're up on the glacier, been avalanched. And um, so I went with another guy. We went back up, wow. um, took took some supplies up. Um, Found them, did what we could. Mm. Um, avalanche again during the night. You were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh God. yeah. So uh, you stayed with them. So it was quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, before we left the hut, actually, uh, we'd made a call on the um, national park radio to Mount Cook Village, where the uh, you know they have a helicopter and stuff, and said, you know, this is what ha- this is what has happened. This is what we're doing. And then the radio went dead. Uh, wow. The uh, the batteries completely flat, and this radio in this hut, emergency radio. So we never we so we went off to go and find. You them. didn't know where they was going to come for you. Didn't know. And then it got light really early because it's very high up on the mountain. Yeah. Nothing. And oh, I was thinking, sure. oh my god! So we're there with two hundred guys. Well, you know, what on earth do we do? And. Um, 
but fortunately, eventually, you know, waka waka. Oh, really? Up, they had got the message? Uh, yeah, they had got the message. Um, and they, they took the two guys off. Um, didn't have room for me, me and John. <laughs> oh, so no. we, 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 we'd about had it by then. And so we're off back off down the You must have been shattered. Um, what did you learn yeah, from that? Well, I mean, that was one hell of a shock and yeah, resilience it, and leadership. It was, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, what did I learn? I mean, it, the whole trip was was great. I mean, it was a, it was a long, a long trip. It took a, a lot of organisation in terms of you know how to get people down there and fund the thing and um, and then teaching people to climb. Mm. And eventually, you know, to ticking off that 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 summit. Um, uh, I. Um, I I I I think uh, things you know things will go wrong, mm. uh, not completely unexpectedly, I guess, um, mm. and um, I guess that's an example of decision making that probably does need to be made. You know, we talked yeah. in the earlier session about you know making decisions in a timely way. Um, that was an example, I think, where you know needed to take particular yeah. particular course of action quite quite quickly. Because yeah. um, I've never done anything as exciting as you, but when I've been out, I'm sure you have Canada and different <laughs> yeah. places. But no, it, yeah. uh, not not the sort of the severity of climbing, but but yet organise things mm. and. And yeah, you have to be really well structured and think of all the eventualities, which is a very good parallel across into business and in the military. And which is why I think they encourage us to do this adventure training in peacetime, because you have to plan all these things yeah. and you're very much on your own. Aren't absolutely. You? Absolutely. I mean, military mountaineering and training is interesting. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, in those days where there's some big expeditions going off, a guy I've climbed with over the years who's, um, was a RAF Harrier pilot, a guy called Steve Hunt, a very accomplished climber. Um, he's been very high on Everest on the West Ridge route, which is a difficult route, um, as well as climbing some other, um, big mountains. Um, and, um, so he was with me actually in 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 in, in New Zealand, but um, so I've lost my train. Just just the the the, the applicability of all yeah, that you learned from the Army Adventure Training. Yeah, um, yeah. That, what I was going to say is, is that uh, you still you have that duty of care. Yeah. Uh, which I think makes it slightly different from a kind of civilian expedition where people pitch up, they own their own risks themselves, they can you know do it or not. Particularly if you're teaching inexperienced people, mm. so you have to set your objectives mm. you know very carefully. Yeah. Um, and on that West Ridge uh, British Army uh, British Forces expedition to Everest that yeah. Steve was on. Uh, I mean, did they have uh, an avalanche? Uh, they didn't. Um, they got blocked. They, they they had some very bad weather. Um, that they had to contend with, um, and uh, they eventually, I think, ran out of steam on what is a you know a really long and challenging route. Yeah, having got to the top of the Hornbeam Couloir, so and. I recall Steve talking about being at the top of the Hornbeam Couloir. Um, arguably, you know, there was kind of decision to be made there. And uh, um, Mike Kefford, uh, another Gurkha who I served under with 7GR, 
was leading the expedition. Um, and as I understand it, arguably you could have, you could have, you know, got people to really um, take a real risk and go for the summit. But that kind of collected decision was made. Well, there's the into thin air by John Cracker. Not to do that. Yeah. Where they they were so teleological, so goal focused. Yeah. That they they forgot the turnaround time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they carried yeah. on going, and so many died. I think yeah. ten of them died. Yeah, yeah, can happen. And and we, we um, in Lee's book, inspiring women leaders, she interviewed a, a mountain guide from the Alps, and there's only about three women, and she's this diddy woman. She's about five foot two, and she became a mountain guide, mm. and she talked about the time where she went up with one of her uh, clients, one of the big climbs. And um, the weather was looking bad and they had an agreed time to turn around. And yeah. she said, we're turning around. No, no, no. I've paid you to get me to the summit. And look, these people have just gone by. And she said, they shouldn't do that. And they yeah. may well die. Yeah. And we're turning back. And this guy was really upset with her. And she, she followed her, mm. uh, her instructions, came back down. The other group died. Yeah. Because you've just got to be so careful. You're not so obsessed about the goal. Yeah. That you forget common sense and and, uh, and and mountain rules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the mountain will be there another, yeah. for another day. Yeah, um, very just true. To make sure that you are as well. Yes, that's a very good <laughs> way of saying. Hey, Peter, no, you, you have some interesting. What about your time in the AMF? Explain about that. And and uh, is it two four nine you were in? Did you yeah. did you serve in that? Did yeah. some skiing and stuff yeah. in Norway two, and two four nine signal squad. Um, real. Um, Really what, happy, what was happy, the unit? Happy, Just explain happy, to those who are not in the army. Yeah, um, so uh, in the in I guess the days of the Cold War, um, NATO um, uh, had a, a, a kind of rapid reaction force, which was a multinational force that could deploy very quickly to the to the flanks of NATO. Hmm. So up in uh, the Arctic Circle, on the border between Norway and Russia. Um, and down in the, the sort of southern flanks as well. I mean, Turkey has a, a border with, with what was then the Soviet Union. Yeah. And um, so um, we, we were part of that. So we had to be at kind of high readiness to deploy. Uh, and so that meant, you know, quite a lot of time on exercise. Well, there are exercises, but they're also kind of deployments because yeah. they, they kind of signal NATO solidarity mm. and intent. Um, but from my point of view, it's just an excuse to get in the snow and, uh, uh, you know, every, every winter and, and, and get up to Norway. So I, I did sort of five Arctic winters. Did you? Um, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, um, so I, I was there as a troop commander, in, yes. you know, as a, a, a youngster. And then a bit later on, I went back and commanded the squadron. You've had some which cracking jobs. A great experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah really, and and really I, I get the sense yeah. that... Yeah, you, you got promoted and you were recognised, but you, that happened sort of almost like organically by osmosis. You weren't the, the thrusting, ambitious guy, I've got to do this job and this job and this job, even though they're awful jobs, but that would get me promoted to general. You just did some really interesting stuff and soldiers enjoyed being with you and your career happened as if by accident, didn't it? You'd have to ask them whether they enjoyed being with me or not, but I certainly, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed myself. Yeah. Um, and similarly, I mean, you know, as I said in the earlier talk, I mean, that was, that was quite a long time ago. I mean, it was 20 years since mm. I, I left the army. Yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit of continuity. Uh, I still, you know, like to get up mountains when I, when I, when I can. Um, and this whole... Um, a dynamic environment and yeah. decision making and working with teams to mm. manage changing situations 
that's what really fascinates me. Yeah. And and taking that into, I mean, when I was my last job in the army was teaching at the junior division of the uh, of the army commander staff college. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, well, what a you know, and I was talking with my wife. We we kind of made the decision that you know we were going to leave, and it was we because you know I was married by then, I had three children. What would we do? And this was at the time of uh, the, the kind of Tony Blair government, education, education, education. And I, I thought, well, yeah, I really am passionate about kind of personal development, education, that whole kind of social mm. mission. Mm. So I decided to try and see if I could, you know, pick up some work in, yeah. in, in that environment. So and, and that's really what I've, you know, been doing since. Yeah. Gravitated towards higher education and universities. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> which is ironic because I didn't do a degree first time round. I went yeah. I went into the army. Yeah, me too. I've, I've me too. Since done, you know, an MBA through the Open University, which mm. great, yeah, me too. Great yeah. organisation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely, yeah. a lot, 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 lot of parallels here. Um, and um, so I'm still, um, you know, doing that change stuff. Mm. But uh, in an educational context. Yeah, so you're at Lambda now. Tell people really what Lambda is yeah, and so what it does. Yeah, um, London Academy for Music and Dramatic Art. So it's um, it's the oldest drama school uh, in the world. Really? Yeah. Um, in uh, it, certainly in the UK. Actually, it's arguable in the world, but certainly in the UK. And um, it, it's um, you know it, it's produced some uh, fantastic actors uh, over the years. You mm. know, so Benedict Cumberbatch is our oh, yes. our, our president. You yeah. know, very uh, I love him. inspiring, he's great. inspiring guy. Um, and um, as well as being uh, 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 an illustrious drama school, um, we also have a business which. Uh, Lambda examinations. So yeah. we take uh, examinations in in the um, spoken and performing arts for young children all the way up to wow. you know we've had a kind of something in their eighties to lambda examinations. That's brilliant. Uh, we do that worldwide. So um, so the two are kind of mm. symbiotic. Um, but the drama students are fantastic. Um, I had no idea how hard. Uh, uh, students work in yeah. a, in a good drama in a good drama school, uh, or at least that's how they act. Darling, it's so hard. I can't believe how hard I've done. <laughs> no, but the truth is, no, it, it is. It is. No, no, they do. Um, um, but but now, um, so I, I initially well, you took Lee and myself to one of your productions, which yeah, I thought yeah, was very yeah. high quality. You enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, very yeah, the Shakespeare, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But. Um, so, so I, I came here really, you know, to help Lambda uh, with, you know, particular change challenges. But I've made the decision to stay on sort of mm. permanently. Good. Um, and largely that's because of the, you know, the clear vision being set out by uh, somebody called Sarah Frankham, who is our new director. So I, I I was acting principal last year, and then Sarah arrived in in November, and we're working together on this sort of new new, new vision for, well, for for a drama school. It's a great and, credit for both of you because people normally in your situation get a hump on, and they go, "Well, I've been the boss. Who's this new person coming?" And they don't like it, and they undermine them and make it difficult. <laughs> and then either the, the new CEO director has to get them out and that's difficult and there's yeah. payouts and compromise agreements and so on like that. Um, or, or they they have a real clash. I mean, to, to actually get it where, like you two have, I know, where you have respect both ways. 
Yeah. And she welcomes you and wants you and doesn't want to destroy you because she's the new lioness and you're the old lioness and she's got to kill you <laughs> off to look after the cubs, which is what tends to happen in the wild. Um, the fact that you can work together, I think it's very powerful. Uh, yeah, I I think so. Uh, I hope so. Um, uh, I mean, I was I was never going to do that job long term because it needs a creative. Yeah. Know, so I was very much um, keeping the ship on course, um, but really the creative soul needs to sit with with the director, and it certainly does. You know, mm. with uh, with Sarah, who, who's um, sort of renowned nationally as one of our top mm. theatre directors. Perhaps we should so get her on this it, thing. It's an exciting. She's got time. a story to tell. I'm sure she has. Yeah, yeah I'm sure she has. Yeah. And, and talking of stories. Um, before we uh, we end with some of the, the highlights of your career and things that you've enjoyed the most, the most fun things you've done, and a, and a top tip, our lives have some dark moments. I've had my share of dark moments. But if you were to pick out one of the darkest times of your life, what happened to you and, and how did you get out of that sticky, dark hole? And, and what did you learn and how has it shaped you? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I've talked about, you know, one or two of the kind of sudden you know um, difficult moments but um in a way they're they they are the the least challenging because um they're fairly time constrained and you know fight or flight type type decisions mm. um i think um what can be more difficult to handle is the kind of long-term gnawing problems mm. um and uh, I, I was involved in um, a kind of major role in a, um, a building project, a major building project, um, which I think mainly for reasons, you know, beyond the control of the design team, uh, we had real issues in terms of cost control. Mm -hmm. And I was in the hot seat, you know, as the kind of program director for that. Mm. Um, and that was kind of all consuming actually very stressful how did it make you feel as you see costs going up <laughs> relentlessly how did it make me feel um i mean i i tend to uh i think i tend to accept responsibility and accountability um possibly too readily mm. sometimes mm. um you know fact is that you know that it, it, it's it, it, invariably you're you know unless you're a one-man band you're you, you're part of an organisation and somebody's seen fit to ask you to do something you know so there is that yeah I think it's important to remember remember that you can mm. only do what you can what you can do so what made it a dark time for you um well i i think you know inevitably you know when you embark on these endeavors are oh, fantastic you know this is going to be great and then you know as the thing starts to uh, be delayed um, cost more everybody starts saying well you know why why is it like this whose fault is it you know right and and you're very much holding the baby and they're like, looking for blame program director. Yeah. but um how, how did you get out of the pit well, um well eventually we bought it in with some you know some hard negotiation the thing got finished and completed and i'd like to think you know it's uh it's a it, i believe it is a really good asset it was very forward thinking in terms of design uh, mm. and in terms of environmental sustainability yeah. which is one of the things that made it high risk but 
so long term, I think, you know, a, a, a good project. Yeah. I'm glad I stayed with it and I learned a heck of a lot from yeah. that experience. You, you learn more from our failures than from our success. Totally, yeah. So just before we finish, how yeah. about a couple of highlights? What, what have been what have been the things as you look back over your oh my goodness your forty years career so there, far? There's been loads. What? There's been loads, but but um, yeah, uh, absolute pleasure to go. And I was um, when I saw you after all those years. I was at the University of Cumbria. You were as an interim pro yeah. vice chancellor. Yeah, yeah. really. Um, Helping uh, the, the the vice chancellor um, with a bit of a, a change agenda yeah. um, for a year, but um, what what an opportunity because um, a formative time for the university, difficult yeah. time. Uh, but I was in the Lake District and it yeah. was a glorious summer. So <laughs> when, when things got tough, I was able to sort of uh, you know go uh, go off climbing um, with uh, a guy called. Colin Coggill, who's the, yeah. I think he's still there as the director of IT. And when so, you're climbing, so, you so can't focus on anything other than climbing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise you fall. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's what you need. Don't you? you need some some complete distraction. You do. Um, whatever it is, and different things work for different people, don't they? But I yeah. think if you can find something, you know, even if you're, you know, if a game of squash for half an hour or, yeah. or whatever, if it's kind of all absorbing, I think it, it, it just uses a different set of brain muscles. I think so. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's very it's, good. It's, uh, yeah. I like doing that, or whatever it is, a particular activity. I do some model making occasionally, the old uh, Tamiya models, the big, the big tanks and things. Oh, yeah, when, you, yeah, when you're doing yeah, that, you're completely totally. absorbed doing some painting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and so finally, top tip on leadership that you'd leave the listeners with, uh, you know, that you found is a good practical bit of advice someone gave you or you've learned over the years that would serve them well to be better leaders? Um I, I think, uh, you know, you are not the be-all and end-all. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it, I really think that with the complexity of today's challenges in particular in a kind of corporate environment, it has to be a team effort. And yeah. you need to take the, I think we all need to kind of take the team with us. And, um, it, you know, it's it, not easy to get a team functioning and working well together. Mm. But boy, when, when you do, you, you, can, you can move mountains. So, uh, yeah. It's always got to be through the team, hasn't it? About the team, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Peter, thank you. Great. <laughs> really fabulous Thanks having you on the uh, Inspiring Leadership brilliant, Series. Brilliant to see you again. And th yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. No, it's great. And good luck with all that you're doing at Lambda. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye for now. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.